If you will, please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 31. If I could have you all just turn down my mic a little bit, that'd be fantastic. Psalm 31. I believe last week, uh, Pastor Granberry kicked off our series, and he mentioned uh, something about leaving us in a state of discontent, um, which I don't think he did. Yeah, he did a wonderful job of presenting um, the ang- anxiousness that often is in our hearts and our desire to go after things that God hasn't given us as the source of our discontentment. But um, over the next four weeks, I want us to look at this matter, uh, continue to look at this matter of contentment. Let me say this. You know, uh, as a pastor, sometimes you have heart's desires. There's certain things you want to see um, in the people that God has called you to shepherd. And, and one of the things that I desire for all of us is that we have contented hearts, that we have hearts that are at rest with where God has us and what God is doing in our lives. That's, that's my heart's desire. Uh, one of the things that I observe often is restlessness for all sorts of reasons. doesn't always have to be because of something going on, but there's a general discontent and restlessness. And so after praying for some time, I felt like the Lord was leading me to do a series on contentment. And I hope it's a blessing. It's been a blessing to me to study and to look through. And so every week we're going, every week this month, we're going to take an aspect of contentment and show you and see where we find our contentment. And so uh, today we're going to look at contentment from above. Uh, next week um, we're going to look at contentment from within. Then we're going to look at contentment from without. And then we're going to look at contentment from below. So contentment from above. And I've chosen for our text today Psalm 31, a psalm that's familiar to many of us. If you're looking for a psalm to memorize, this is a good one. Very short, only three verses. Um, It's a wonderful, wonderful text for God's people to memorize and to look at. So hear now God's word taken from Psalm 31. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. And let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, you see us. You desire our contentment more than we desire it for ourselves. And I pray that these next four weeks, as we explore the matter of contentment, it may be a time for us to not just learn, but a time for our hearts to relax, to cease from its restlessness. And as Augustine rightly said, we can find our rest in you. Give us that now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The imagery in this text is certainly a powerful one and one that for many of us we remember or know a little something about. 
And so I'm not going to spend a lot of runway trying to uh, approach this text or have us examine this text. I, I want us to look at three things about this text and see what this text shows us. First of all, this text shows us what discontentment looks like. Then this text shows us what contentment looks like. And then finally, this text shows us, uh, tells us how we can be content in our lives. First of all, this text shows us what contentment, uh, discontentment looks like. Now, if you notice in verse number two, the imagery is of a weaned child with its mother. That's the imagery of contentment. Well, discontentment is the opposite. Discontentment is the unweaned child. Now, I have raised four children. I've had the privilege of raising four children, and thankfully, all of them, I am proud to announce, are weaned. Um, they, can, they can feed themselves, praise the Lord. But, but for those of you that have unweaned children, know that I feel your pain. There is nothing like having an unweaned child in your home. I remember when my children were younger, my wife, we had an agreement. I would go and get the children once they start squirming and she and bring them to her and she would feed them. And, and you know, we would often have the children just off to the side in the bassinet and they would start squirming and I would lay there thinking, oh, I hope it's just gas and they can go back to sleep. But an unweaned child doesn't let you sleep. No, the squirming gets louder and louder and louder. And then finally, you have to get up and get the child. And as you're holding the child, they're restless. And they're, they're angling themselves. And you're like, buddy, I can't help you. I don't have the equipment. And even as you're, you're taking them to the mother, they're, they're restless. And they're trying to get themselves in position. And my wife is trying to get her equipment out, I guess, and feed them. And, and there's, this, there's just this general restlessness that happens with an unweaned child. Here's three things I've realized about an unweaned, uh, an unweaned child. Three things. First of all, they, they're often restless and they cannot soothe themselves. That's not going to happen. My wife would often say, you know, leave them. They will self-soothe. That never happened. Even when they sucked their fingers, they weren't self-soothed. The second thing I realized about an unweaned child is they make everyone else around them restless. I remember one night we were tired and I was up constantly with a child that never rested. And you get exhausted. And in the cumulative effect, it wears on you. But here's the third thing I realized about an unweaned, un unweaned child. They are unaware of what's going on around them. They don't care what time it is, even if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. They don't care about the situation, whether they're in church or whether they're at a party. An unweaned child doesn't care. They live in inconvenience. That's an unweaned child. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, Pastor, I am fully weaned. What does this have to do with me? Well, it has everything to do with you because David says, for many of us, we are like an unweaned child. 
And he shows us it in verse number one. The unweaned adult looks like an adult who's filled with pride. Notice the threefold level of pride that he mentions. He says, first of all, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Uh, the unweaned adult looks like a prideful adult. Notice especially uh, what David says at the end of verse 1 when he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What is he talking about there? The word for occupy there is the Hebrew word halak, and it actually means to walk. And it's an emphatic form of the word which means this. It's one who is restless and consistently goes after things that the Lord does not have for them. It describes a lifestyle of someone who is never at rest and who's always going after things that God never intended to have them. Things that are just right in the future that feels within their grasp. Uh, I'm reading um, C.S. Lewis's wonderful uh, book called Screwtape Letters with the Children. And, you know, they might have nightmares after it, but that's okay. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in, in the book Screwtape Letters, makes this brilliant assessment about pride. Um, for those of you that don't know, Screwtape is the demon. And he's writing to Wormwood, his junior demon. And he's instructing them about how to use the pride of humans. And, and Screwtape tells Wormwood, he says, use their pride by getting them to think about the future and not about eternity. Now pause for a moment because that's brilliant. He is telling Wormwood the way to get human beings to be restless and to use their pride against them is to always get them to think about the future, that which is right in the future, the things that they don't have, the things that they desire. Get them to consistently go after those things, but never let them think about eternity, meaning never let them think about God and what God has promised them and what God has laid up for them in eternity in heaven. Never get them to think about that. Always get them to think about the very thing that they don't have, but is within their grasp to have. And he says that if you do that, you will trap them. If you do that, you will hold them. If you do that, you will enslave them. You will get them like an unweaned child. And David saw firsthand this pride in Saul. Saul was a very prideful man. In fact, in one portion of uh, Saul's life, Saul heard these words being sung by the woman, women in Israel. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And what happened? Well, Saul became jealous and angry. And in a fit of rage, grabbed a javelin and threw it after David to try and kill him. You know, one of the ways our pride manifests itself is through jealousy. I don't know if you know that. 
You know, it's interesting. I, I uh, had a birthday recently. And um, a few, I think about last year, it dawned on me, I've lived more of my life than I think I'm going to live. Now, some of you young people, and I could say that now, some of you young people, you can't say that. You have more of your life left to live than you don't have, that you've already lived. But, but I've come to the point where I realize I have, more of my, I have less of my life to live than I have already lived. And I started thinking about my life and how I spent so much time being jealous of people. You know, when, when you're young, you're always jealous of the person that got straight A's. Her name was Giselle Pinto. Now, I don't know who your Giselle Pinto is, or maybe you might have been Giselle Pinto. But that was her. She always got straight A's. And it didn't matter how much I studied, didn't matter how much I tried, I could never beat Giselle Pinto. And I was jealous of her. I was jealous of the school jock. His name was uh, Therese. I don't know who your Therese is, but, but that was him. I was jealous of him. He was athletic and good looking. And all the girls wanted to date him. And I was the exact opposite. Now, now all my life I spent being jealous of people. Because in actuality, I was prideful. I wanted to be what they were. But you know, when you get older and you realize that you have less of your life to live, you start looking back and saying, you know what? I don't have that much time left, so I think I better go ahead and live the life that God has called me to live. I think now I, I better get used to being Dennis. And the way God created me, warts and all. You know, some of you young people, you, you have a Therese. You, you have a Giselle Pinto. Hey, can I just tell you, don't, don't learn to love who God made you. Please. It will only make you restless. Learn to love who God made you and how God made you, and see the beauty and wisdom of God in creating you exactly the way he made you. You may not be the most popular. You may not be the most smart. You may not be the most attractive, but that's not the point. Remember, remember, the enemy wants us to think about the future and not e about eternity. And in the eternal purposes of God, he created you and made you exactly the way you are to bring him the glory in who you are. And if you try to be anybody else, you won't bring him as much glory as if you just try to be you. Well, that's what Saul did. Saul didn't realize that he was king and not David. And so he got jealous when the people began to say, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And let me say something else while I'm on this. We need to be careful that we're not comparing ourselves with ourselves. Isn't that what started this? The women singing, saying Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. A thousand people is a lot of people to kill. I mean, you know, like, I, like if you stop and think about it, that's nothing to snort, scarf at, you know? I don't think I could kill a thousand people. That's pretty good. But, but, but yet, what happens? They're, they're comparing one another, right? 
But, but don't you realize we do that too? We compare one another with one another. Someone is a better teacher or someone cooks barbecue better. I don't know what it is. But, but, but we need to stop doing that. And if you're a parent, please don't do that with your children. It's soul crushing to compare them with one another. But we in the church need to be careful that we're not comparing ourselves with ourselves. Paul says, by the way, that's unwise. That's destructive. That creates jealousy. That creates a feeling of inadequacy. And all of us need to be careful that that's not what we are doing. Well, that's the first point. Discontentment. Let me ask you a question. Paul, uh, David says here, do not walk after or go after things too great and too marvelous for him. I want to ask you this question. What are you going after? What are you going after? What does God need to wean you of? Now, some of us need to be weaned from things. Recently, I saw uh, an influencer. She has a thousand pairs of shoes. You, you know how many shoes the average person has in here? Anyone want to take a guess? I'll, I'll tell you. 20. 20. Yes, 20. Some of you say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. I mean, I have 30. That should be the average. No, no, the average is 20. Now, some of us have less. I, I, I grant that. Some of us have less. But, but, but she has 1,000. Well, she needs to be weaned from shoes. No, she does. That's, there's no, I mean, you don't need a thousand pair of shoes, right? Well, well, let me ask you the question. What do you need to be weaned from? I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, sometimes I think I need to be weaned from books. Just the other day, it dawned on me, maybe I'm reading more books than I'm reading the word of God. Now, I don't know what you need to be weaned from. Maybe, maybe you like fine things. There's nothing wrong with fine things, but, but if, you're, if you're pursuing that, then you need to be weaned from it. David says, I don't spend my time going after things. I spend my time going after God. And when you spend your time going after things, you become like an unweaned child. Now, what does contentment look like? Again, notice with me verse number two. David uh, gives us this beautiful picture of what contentment actually look, looks like. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Notice that beautiful picture of contentment. It's like a weaned child with its mother, a child that's been satiated. A child that's not going to its mother for milk, but now just going to its mother for comfort. Jeremiah Burroughs uh, captures this beautifully in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Listen, listen, to, this, listen to this wonderful definition of contentment. It, it's, it's the best I've read or heard or seen. By far, it's no, nothing's close to this. Notice what Jeremiah Burroughs says. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit 
which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Isn't that beautiful? That sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That Christian contentment. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Don't we all want a soul like that? And can I tell you, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs describes it as a rare jewel. A rare jewel. Meaning this. It's beautiful when you see it. I'll never forget, I, I worked at Chick-fil-A for a little bit, right, right just before I became a pastor, and I was studying for my ordination exams. I worked at Chick-fil-A for a little bit. And, and, you know, oddly enough, all the people that I worked with were Christians. That's not always the case. Uh, Chick-fil-A doesn't hire only Christians, but, but it so happens that all the people that were hired were Christians. And I remember I had a shift one day, and, and it was this lady that was in there. And I hadn't noticed her before. And I walked past her. And I think I was mopping or doing something. And she looked me dead in the eyes. And she said this. Why the bleep are you so happy? And by the way, kids, she didn't say bleep. Uh, she actually used the four-letter forbidden word that you ever, never, never are supposed to say. And I was shocked. And I said, well, why are you so unhappy? By the way, that's not good apologetics. I mean, you know, <laughs> remember, I, was, I wasn't a pastor yet. I was a little rough around the edges. And I didn't curse either. So, you know, that, that would have been even more with effect, I guess. But, but don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. So anyway, I asked her, why are you so unhappy? And then she began to tell me about her life. And, and she even asked me, I remember she asked me, she was like, do they pay you all to be happy? And I said, no, they don't pay us enough to be happy. <laughs> now, they pay us to say my pleasure, but they don't say enough uh, for us to be happy. And, and in the midst of her telling me her story, I asked her the question, I said, why do you come in here? She said, this is the only place me and my daughter can come where we see people that are actually happy. You know, and it was interesting. I've often reflected on that conversation from time to time because it, 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 it shows you the paradox about our society. The very thing she hated about that whole environment that repulsed her, that we were happy even though we were being paid minimum wage doing hard labor, the very thing that repulsed her is the very thing that she was attracted to. See, she was a single mother. And she was in the midst of a bad relationship that she was trying to get out of. She didn't have much money. She was wondering where she was going to live. She was going through a set of very difficult circumstances. And all she wanted was to go somewhere where her and her daughter can see people happy. You know, there are many more people like her in the world, and I think that's why church is so important. You know, some people just want a place where they can come and they can see 
that rare jewel of Christian contentment. And for us, it should be the church. Incidentally, that's why the church is called a sanctuary. When you come in here, you should see people who are content and happy. People that love the Lord. You know, people are looking for genuine, authentic Christianity. They want to know it exists, even though it's repulsive to them at times. They want to be able to go somewhere and see it up close. And when they see it up close, it's like a rare jewel that they're attracted to. That's what Jeremiah Burroughs is saying. It's a rare jewel, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which truly submits to and delight in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. The human heart wants to lie down in green pastures. The human heart wants to be led by still waters. The human heart wants peace and contentment. And even if we don't have it, we want to be around someone that does. And that's why church is so important. That's why this community and communities like it all over this world are so important. Because when people find it, it's truly a rare jewel. So the question is, where do we find it? Notice verse number three as we close. David says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What a great statement. Now, now it's, at times we read the Bible. We read statements like this. And, and for us, as we look at these statements, we say, okay, you know, we, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. That's what we should be doing. We should be hoping in the Lord. But, but notice how profound this statement is. David is the king of Israel at this time. David is at the height of his power. There is no one greater than David in all the land. He's finally unified the kingdom. He's finally given victory to Israel over all its enemies. He's finally reorganized the priesthood. And in this moment, it would be easy for David to say, Oh, Israel, hope in me. But instead he says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Now, why does he say that? If you remember... A few years back, in fact, several years back, Israel demanded that they wanted a king. In fact, Israel said, I, we want a king. And Israel rejected the only king that could bring them contentment and peace for an earthly king. His name was Saul. And when Israel got that king, they became discontented again. And here's why. Because even when we put our contentment in the things that we want and feel like we need, when we finally get it, we realize that we are still discontented. And so now David says, now that you have a king after God's own heart, it's still insufficient. You still need to hope in the one true king. Now what's even more interesting about this text is the word hope here. David actually uses the term wait. And the text should actually read, but it's not, it's not wrong that he says hope in the Lord because as you wait, you hope. But he actually says wait 
on the Lord. O Israel, wait on the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What is he encouraging Israel to wait for? Well, of course, the true king, Jesus Christ the righteous. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is the only earthly king who said, come to me. Hope in me. Believe in me. Trust in me. And I will give you peace and contentment. He's the only earthly king that said that who could fulfill it. And he did. When we come to Jesus and we rest in him and we hope in him and we wait on him, he alone provides that fulfillment of contentment that our hearts so long for. Now, I want to give you a big takeaway, and here's the big takeaway. Are you ready for it? Here it is. If a child can learn how to be weaned, then we all can learn how to be content. Every adult in here, to my knowledge, has been weaned. And that's a good thing. Well, if you learned to be weaned, you can learn to be content. You can learn to put your heart in rest as long as you're resting in him. Father, we thank you so much that the source of our contentment is upward. It's in Jesus, the king and the prince of peace. We thank you that even though we live in a time of discontentment, we live in a world that creates discontentment in our own hearts. We can come here and be reminded that it's possible for us to be content. It's not without our grasp. This rare jewel that we have in our faith is accessible to all of us. May we have it. May you give it to us as we trust and rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.